0: you this morning. Good man. Is this a beautiful day to wake up in Austin, Texas with an extra hour of sleep? That's a beautiful thing right there. You know, I think today is such a beautiful day. It might even be pretty in Houston today. I don't know that, but that, that's, I mean, that's the kind of range of beauty we're dealing with on a day like today. I'm curious, how many of you know from your family that you have now, or maybe the family you grew up in, that siblings can have absolutely polar opposite personality types? Can I just see a show of hands? Is that crazy? I mean, I was introduced to this phenomenon fairly early in my life. My brothers are twins, two and a half years younger than I am, and they were born 13 minutes apart. But that was the last thing that they ever shared in common. I mean, they are so different. But it was also brought home to me when Julie and I began having children of our own. We have two children who, actually, Emily and Joseph, are two years apart exactly to the day. They were born on the same day, two years apart, September the 6th. And people ask me all the time, like, Mac, did y'all plan that? I was like, that is exactly how organized I am but we were driving to the same hospital to see the same doctor with the same mom two years apart to almost the hour and yet Emily and Joseph our two children could not be more different personality wise and this bears itself out in a lot of different ways but one of the ways is financially both of our kids are so different from each other financially for example I happen to know that on this September the 6th, when they turned 19 and 17 respectively, they both got gifts from both sets of grandparents. So Emily received a gift from my mom and her husband, and Joseph got the same gift, and then Julie's mom and dad sent both of them the exact same gift. And at this age in life, they got the gift that every teenager appreciates more than anything, cash. Cash. And I happen to know this because, you know, their accounts are with Julie's and mine, and so I can kind of see what's going on on an ongoing basis. And so I saw both of them deposit their birthday gifts from their respective grandparents at the same time and kind of watch that. And without going into any details or naming names, I will tell you that sitting here on the first Sunday of November, one of my children still has every single dime, that was given to them by their grandparents back in September. The other child of mine, as I looked at her account yesterday <laughs> it was all gone within a matter of days. Now, this isn't a good or a bad thing. This is just kind of how they were wired up. I wonder, how many of you in, how many of y'all are married right now? Just see a show of hands. OK. How many of you know that a lot of times in marriage, God in his wisdom and sovereign grace and humor will bring together a spender and a saver? Can I see a show of hands? How many of y'all, that's our household. It's crazy how God chooses to do this on a regular basis. And then we go back to the pages of scripture and we see for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And yet this Two becoming one idea and goal of God Almighty in marriage includes and transcends becoming one financially. And yet, so many times in our homes, so many times in our marriages, we've got different personality types. We've got different families of origin. We've got different backgrounds and attitudes about money, and we're supposed to become one. And it's against that backdrop that we know both anecdotally and observationally, but also through scientific research, that financial stress is the single greatest contributor to divorce in our world. Researchers at Kansas State University reported that arguing about money is the top predictor of divorce. Sonia Britt, one of the leading researchers on this study in 2012, wrote, Arguments about money are by far the top predictor of divorce. It's not children, sex, in-laws, or anything else that's number one. It is money for both men and women. The research also concluded that arguments about money were longer and usually more intense than other types of marital disagreements. Check this out. How many of y'all are female? Let me see show of hands of the women in the house. Hold on. <laughs> <clears throat> women, according to the research... I didn't say this. But the research shows that 60%, women are 60% more likely to hide a statement from their partner. Should be interesting lunchtime today. But how many of you are guys? Let me see the show of hand from the men in the house. Men? <laughs> Don't get smug. Because the research also shows that it's the men who spend more on average than the women. Some of you women, give me three snaps and a Z. That's right. You know what I have noticed anecdotally and observationally is that women, as a general, in a general, as a general rule, women will nickel and dime and spend more than men, and men big purchase more than women. That, that's just kind of an observation. If it's not that way in your household, you are the exception that proves the rule. But women, you know, who go to Target, for example, And come home like, honey, you won't believe how much I saved. As she is unloading the back end of the SUV or the minivan. The husband, on the other hand, many times will come home and say, honey, we got a boat. This is just part of what makes us attracted to each other. But it's also what can contribute to a lot of stress in our homes and our families. And so, as we continue the series that we started a few weeks ago, Keep Calm and Family On, today I want us to take a look at how we create a financial culture in our homes. Because you have a financial culture. I have a financial culture in my household, or a vibe attached to money. You grew up with one. Whether your parents built it by design or by default, it was very likely more caught than taught because a lot of times, we don't talk about money. We talk about sex more than we talk about money. We don't talk about sex much at all. But there is a vibe in every single household as it pertains to money. I wonder, how many of you all are students? You're, you're in school. You're not, like, grown up and out on your own right now. Let me just see a show of hands. You play a major role in the financial culture of your household. You play a major, major role in your attitude toward money, how you approach things financially, how you look at what your parents give to you or do not give to you. For one, I mean, just just understand something. If it weren't for you, your parents would be loaded. (laughs) I mean, you are expensive. You should try going to get an apartment and buy your own food, pay for gas, insurance, court costs, whatever it takes. I mean, now, of course, we celebrate you in our homes and and we, we love the burden that you are, but I'm just telling you, it's real. But beyond that, how you respond to what your parents give you or don't give you, what you think you may be entitled to, what you think your parents or the world owes you goes a long, long way towards contributing to the financial culture of your home. And we know this to be true because for every single one of us, everyone, right now, before I even finish the sentence, turn to your neighbor and with a smile and passion and enthusiasm tell them this includes you. (laughs) For every single one of us, money is a spiritual issue. It is a spiritual issue. Now, I didn't make that up. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If you want to know my priorities, look at where I spend money. Look at where I save. Look at where I give. You will learn very, very quickly where my heart really is and truly lies by how I handle the money that has been entrusted to me. That's just a universal law. And part of why this is so exciting to me is because God is going to free up some people today. This is going to be fun. I want you to tell your neighbor again, like you mean it, this is going to be fun. <laughs> now. <clears throat> I want to go to a passage of scripture that, at first glance, may not appear to relate to families. In the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, who is a first-time pastor, and he's writing to Timothy to teach him, to show him how to pastor. The word pastor in the original language means a shepherd, and the leading responsibility of any pastor is to guard the flock think of like a husband or a father the, the first job that i have as a dad is to keep my kids safe if they're if they're not safe it doesn't really matter how many bible verses i can teach to them they they have to be safe and paul is encouraging and challenging timothy to guard the flock guard his church against what are known as false teachers people who would try to kind of worm their way in and teach a Different gospel than the one being proclaimed about Jesus and him crucified. Those who would worm their way in and try to teach a distraction about this or that over and against the reality of a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that he warns Timothy about is that some of these false teachers will come into your church because they can come in and get paid in order to teach. And they, they see church as an opportunity to draw a paycheck. And he says, just be careful of those folks because they're false teachers. They're, they're people you shouldn't have anything to do with and you should protect the church from. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says this as he kind of expands this idea and this concept. Check this out. Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Paul says, look, if you want to talk about what's really and truly wealthy, you want to talk about really and truly having a rich life, then that's contentment. And contentment is a right now issue. Contentment is a, right here, right now issue. Can I just tell you my challenge has been in my lifetime that I used to think contentment was a one-day issue. I, I thought contentment was a one day when I have this, one day when I get there, then I'll be content. My last year in college at the University of Texas was 1990. And for the last two and a half years of my college career, I drove a 1979 Oldsmobile, 98. This thing was a land yacht. How many of y'all saw the movie Titanic? Did you see the movie Titanic? The Titanic was a miniature version of the car that I drove throughout the streets of Austin. And it broke down all the time. I had a chronic radiator problem. And I remember my last semester in college just thinking, God, and literally praying, God, if you will just get me through college and give me a job that allows me to afford a car that I know will start. <laughs> That's all I want in the whole world, God. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer like that? I'm just, I'm just curious. It doesn't have to be today, but I mean, you know that thought. Well, see, the problem was contentment for me at the time was a one-day issue. And sure enough, I graduated from college, 1990. And I got a 1981 Toyota Celica, five-speed, with a deep shag carpet seat covers. (laughs) I was styling. But for me at the time, I thought contentment, I thought peace of mind was just a car that ran or that started. And the reality is that contentment is a right here, right now, just me issue. Contentment has nothing to do with circumstances. Contentment has nothing to do with how much money you do or do not have. Some of us in this room right now, the fact of the matter is you're loaded. Okay? We're not going to call names. I don't know who you are. But I'm saying some of you, you've got a massive pile of money. I mean, just huge. Like if we were to flash your bank account up there, like I look at my kid's bank account, you'd be like, man, please take that down. That's embarrassing. Huge. There are others of you here in this room, and you've got relatively... A, a, a small pile, kind of like my daughter. You've got a small pile of cash, and and the fifteenth and the thirtieth of each month can't get here fast enough. It's just a, just right here, and, and that just is that. That's a reality. Then there are some of us here in the room who we we have kind of maybe a, a medium, kind of Goldilocks, just right stash, and, and we've got some money set aside for a rainy day, and but we still, you know, we have to go to work and all those kind of things, and so we've got the. Big pile, the little pile, and the medium pile. And contentment has nothing to do with what size stack of cash you have. Has nothing to do with the possessions that you do or do not own at this moment. Contentment is a heart issue. And true contentment, the Bible says, is great wealth spiritually. To be content right here, right now, is a sign of spiritual depth and maturity. Because you see, contentment implies and requires gratitude. In order to be content, you have to be grateful. If I'm discontent, as when I had my 1979 Oldsmobile Buick, when I had that car, I was saying, in essence, God, you haven't done enough for me. God, you need to do more. You need to give me more stuff. And contentment is the exact opposite of that. Contentment is, God, thank you that all four tires stay inflated. God, thank you that that it runs more often so that I don't have to run every day to class. God, thank you for what you have provided for me. Contentment and gratitude go hand in glove. But look at how Paul continues this thought and really expands it there in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, but people who long to be rich, people who get up in the morning just want to make more, 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 more. I like what Damon Wayans called it, mo' money, mo' money, mo' money. That's the original Greek translation here. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. See if this doesn't resonate with what you've observed about life. Check this out. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Some people craving money, they wake up every day just, I gotta make mo, I gotta make mo, I gotta make mo. And they wander from the true faith. Because for these people, money has become their God. Now, I know on a Sunday morning in America, you would, you would read that and you'd hear that and you would think, Whoa, that's terrible. Thou shalt make no graven images. You should worship only the Lord your God. We know all those things. And yet, think about how we treat money. When I was in college... Worst piece of mail I ever got came from Visa. Visa told me in a heartfelt, very personally composed letter, we believe in your future. (laughs) Now, you know where this story goes, and I don't even have to finish it, but do you know why Visa believed in my future? Because they wanted to own my future. (laughs) They wanted me to go into debt. They wanted me to assume a debt that I could never repay at the end of the month. They wanted my future financially. But what did I do? You see, I allowed Visa to be my provider. I'd go out to eat, put it on the card. We're going out with friends, hey, y'all pay me and I'll pay Visa. How many of you have ever bought that lie from the pit of hell? I'm just curious. (laughs) And we laugh at that, but it's true. We allow something, someone else, to be our provider, to be the one who meets our needs and our wants, and God says he wants to do that. So in our homes, parents, in our homes, students, we have a responsibility to build deliberately a healthy financial culture. And so what I want to do in the time that we've got left here is show you how to do that and to give you permission to talk about it, to give you an excuse to bring this up so that when you sit down tonight around the dinner table and you go, hey, what did you think about church this morning? (laughs) That crazy red-headed guy, what was he talking about? (laughs) Then you're into the conversation. You've already started it. But I want to show you what to do. Just, just very, very straight forward. You ready? Number one, tithe in faith. Tithe in faith. Now the word tithe means 10%. So you, you take the first 10% of whatever God entrusts to you and you tithe. You give it to the work of God in the local church. Malachi chapter 3 says this, bring the whole tithe, say whole, Whole. it's the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, is there any part of that that sounds like a guilt pressure trip? Is there any part of that? That, that you feel like, I can't believe they're really putting the screws to us today. People say sometimes we me, like, Pastor, I don't like it when you talk about tithing because I worry about the people in the audience who aren't Christians yet. Listen, can I tell you something? You know who gets upset when we talk about tithing? It isn't the non Christians. The non Christians look at that and they go, That ain't me. I'm off the hook. You know who gets upset? Christians who don't tithe. That's who gets upset. Non-Christians, they go, Malachi, I don't even know what Malachi is. What's a Malachi? <laughs> but again, look at what he says. Malachi 3, test me in this and see if I want to throw open the floodgates of heaven. The floodgates of heaven. The blessing of God follows Obedience. Now, I shared with you something about my daughter that was kind of funny earlier. Let me share with you some wisdom that she laid on us when she was about 14 years old. We were in the living room, maybe 15. We were in the living room one day, and it was just Emily and Julie and I hanging out. And and I can't even remember how it came up, but Emily just kind of cocked her head, and she said, You know what? Obedience is really selfish. And Julie looked at me, and she was kind of like, What have you been telling her? I said, I don't know, would you tell her? And we, so we said, what do you mean, honey? And she goes, think about it. If I'm obedient, God blesses that. And if God blesses that, that means it works out better for me. So being obedient is selfish. It works out better for me if I obey God. Jill and I walked across the room, high-fived each other. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, parenting. <laughs> Not really, we didn't do that. Because that was a moment that Emily came to with God on her own. Obedience works out best for those who trust and obey God. God says, trust me, test me in this. Tithe. Bring that first 10% and see if I will not bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. That you can't even comprehend. Now... Please understand, I'm not telling you, and the Bible nowhere says that God will automatically bless you financially if you tithe. He might, but again, God has so many means at his disposal with which to bless us that that make money look silly. And, you know, some of you are thinking, I'll take the silly blessing right now, Pastor. (laughs) But tithe in faith. Earlier today, we celebrated baptism. Can I say that water, please? Thank you so much. We celebrated baptism as as a church family. And one of the things that I've just observed, I'm 47 years old. Been doing this a while. I have never in my life seen anyone come up out of the waters of baptism and resent it or regret it. Any person who is baptized is the personal Statement of their faith in Christ, God blesses that. They they enjoy the celebration, they enjoy the confirmation and affirmation of the church family. By the same token, I have never in my life talked to one single person who tithed as an expression of faith and resented it. Not one. I've never met somebody who's like, oh, I can't believe I have to write this stupid check every month. I need to take it. Stupid tithe. I've never heard of that person. I've heard a lot of people complain about tithing who've never tried it. But I've never heard anybody complain about it, resent it, or regret it who was actually doing it as a statement of faith. Because God's word is true. God promises. If we will tithe in faith, he will bless us. Now, here's what tithing forces you to do and I want to encourage you to write this down because it's important. A tithe forces you to plan. You you have to plan. If you bring the tithe, then you you take a look at what does 10% really mean. Well, there's a plan attached to that. So let's say that I make $100 this year, okay? So for me, the tithe is going to be $10. Then I've got $9 with which to live on for the rest of the year or whatever. But but I've I've got a plan. Tithing begins to get me into the process of a plan. And that's really really good especially in our families and our homes for husbands and wives to talk about where the money's going, where it's coming from, to be on the same page. And after once you get done with the tithe and you settle that issue, what you do with the remaining 9 dollars? That's important. But it really pales in comparison to the fact that you're on the same page as husband and wife. That you talk about it. In our household, I am the spender. Julie is the saver. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal dynamic at work in our household. It, and 22 years in, so far it's working okay. But we talk about our budget. We talk about our plan three or four times a year. We kind of set it. Then we revisit and look at it. How are we doing according to plan? What's going on? But we talk about it, we, we communicate and put it out there, and we look at what's actually happening versus what we hoped would happen or what we thought was going to happen. In our household, I, I hate, how many of y'all like to balance the checkbook or you like to pay bills? Let me see a show here. That's okay, go ahead. We've got support groups. You, you like to pay the bills? <laughs> Julie does. Julie loves to pay the bills and get it all, I have all the, you know, numbers in the right column and decimal places and all that other stuff. I hate that. Hate it. I like the big picture. Let's talk about the budget once a year. Let's talk about line items. Boom. And then we're off to the races. Let's go. But we have talked about it and developed a plan in our household. Also, from Malachi chapter 3, there's a plan, but you also prepare. You're, You're preparing your household. You're preparing your household for blessing. When you obey God, you are putting yourself in a position to receive blessing from God. Blessing in harmony and peace in the household. Blessing from God in terms of peace and order. You know what's going on financially. Part of the reason we get so anxious financially is because we don't really know what's what. Peace follows order. So you prepare yourself for blessing. Number three, you protect your household. You protect your household. What did it say there in verse 11? God says, you bring the whole tithe and I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. God says, when you tithe, as an expression of faith, there is a supernatural protection that he provides around your financial situation, your financial condition. Now, again, it doesn't mean that you're going to become a squillionaire overnight. But it means that God is now engaged with you in the management of the finances that he's entrusted to you. And and therefore, you have this hedge of protection around those finances. And then the last thing that tithing and faith results in is praise to God. God says, if you will do these things... If you will allow me and invite me in and engage with you, then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. All the nations will call you blessed and yours will be a delightful home. There will be peace in the household. Peace between husband and wife. Peace between parents and kids. And it starts with the tithe. That's where it begins. So, tithe in faith. Number two, save in wisdom. Save in wisdom. This past week, we had some massive, massive rains here in Central Texas, and Julie and I were were in our room watching TV, and you hear the ha! clap of thunder, and you're like, whoa, that was close. And and the rain came down and everything, and 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 we heard this wham, one clap of thunder, and we're like, whoa, that was close too, and kind of hanging out. And all of a sudden, we started to hear this, though. It wasn't a loud clap. It was. I said, honey, do you you hear that? She goes, I do. I think it's a drip. We looked over in the corners of our ceiling in our bedroom. There was just a little drip of water coming down, and I sat there and I thought, I don't want to get wet tonight. <laughs> and as I sat there and listened to the drip, I started to hear something else. Every little, I heard, cha-ching, 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 ching ching so I went and got the ladder. I climbed up in our attic, dark and stormy night. I pulled out my beam flashlight, started looking around, and around one of the vents in our roof, I, it wasn't like a steady stream of water, but I just saw water kind of trickling in and, and dripping down, and then I looked beneath that and the insulation in our attic where it was soaking wet, and I could tell that it was that water that was dripping into our bedroom, and I heard I got down off the ladder, went back in the bedroom, and the rain kept coming. So I went and got my Home Depot bucket and put it under there. And, and that drip just kind of kept going. And, and at this point, it's starting to kind of irritate me a little. I was getting mad. So I went and got a towel put a towel in the bucket so you couldn't hear the drip anymore. So that way it wasn't going to cost me any more money. So I just heard it right there. But that dripping ceiling is why we save money. Because you're going to have a rainy day. That dripping ceiling, yes, it's, it's an irritant. Yes, it's an expense. We don't, we don't keep sheetrock and roofing materials as a line item in our budget every month. But you just know things like that are going to happen. You're going to have roofing repairs. You're going to have teenagers who start to drive. And so those reasons and so many others like them are why we save in wisdom. Be wise. I would encourage you if you start with the tithe in faith, Save the next 10%. The next 10% of whatever God entrusts to you, you just set that aside. You you pay yourself. Then you've got everything left over. You've tithed in faith, you've saved in wisdom, and now live in freedom. Just just live in freedom. You've expressed a worship to God with the tithe. You've saved in wisdom. Now with whatever's left over, enjoy it. Live in freedom. Be wise, but live in freedom. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all like food? I don't mean you eat it, but like you really like food. Let me just see a show of hands. I am a food guy. I like food. And for me, my go-to vice if I, could just, if I could just have whatever I wanted to, no matter what, and no physical consequences whatsoever, my go-to vice food of choice is a cookies and cream shake. That's, 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 <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Now, <clears throat> I could spend the next two weeks eating nothing but cookies and cream shakes. I could. I, I've got the, the freedom to do that. And and you, you could see me out at a restaurant, hey, cookies and cream. <laughs> I love cookies and cream shakes. I love it when a little chunk of Oreo gets stuck in the straw and you have to spit it out and use the spoon. That's, that's like heaven to me. <laughs> but if I have spent the next two weeks eating nothing but cookies and cream shakes, though I have the freedom to do it, my freedom would be greatly inhibited because of my choices. If I spent two weeks eating cookies and cream shakes, my body would begin to shut down. I would not be able to move and work as efficiently as I can right now. (laughs) Things would start to go badly wrong. I still have the freedom, but it doesn't mean it's a good idea. The Bible tells us that it is for freedom that we have been set free in Christ. And yet, financially, how many times do we put ourselves in bondage to stress, anxiety, debtors? How often do we abandon the freedom of Christ financially? rather than enjoying the freedom that comes from exercising our freedom in wisdom. And so, that begins to change the way I look at other people. Have you ever heard somebody say something like, I cannot believe that they would drive that car. Who needs a house that big? Ha! Now, we've heard that before, haven't we? We we maybe have even said those things. Here's the deal. You have no idea what people have. You have some idea of what they spend, but you don't know what they have. Their grandparents could have hit black gold, Texas tea back in the day, and they're living on a trust fund you don't know anything about. And so as you pass judgment on the Ferrari Testarossa that guy's being more conservative than you are driving a Prius. Don't talk about my Prius. I'm just saying. <laughs> Money is a heart issue. And the heart is what the gospel's all about. My heart. My heart. You get to think about and consider your heart. The gospel is about freedom. It's about being set free from the bondage of sin and death to live the life that is truly life. That's why Jesus Christ went to the cross. That's why he endured the most painful death the world has ever devised. That's why he rose again so that you could live in freedom in every way imaginable. The conversation about money is just a microcosm of the bigger heart issue between you and God, between God and me. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to ask you to move beyond the conversation Financially, and really and truly consider the big picture spiritually. As we think about keeping calm and familying on, are you a part of the family? of faith have you personally and definitively stepped over the line of trust in Christ if you're here today and you've never taken that step personally then we want to invite you to do it right now just right where you're sitting to pray to pray a prayer of Beginning that relationship with Christ. Just silently talking to Him right where you are. In your own words, just say, Jesus, I need you. You are God and I am not. I confess my sin to you. claim your forgiveness and accept it and I give you every part of my life once and for all with every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment more if that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time with everything that you've got want to ask you if you will just quietly but unmistakably if you would just lift your hand up high over your head and hold it up there for just a moment and I want to tell you why because this is the most important moment of your life and so it's a moment that deserves to be marked to be honored and celebrated For those of you who have your hands up, this is a moment that we as a church pray for. It's a moment that we exist for. And so we want to just help you mark this moment in your life. We're going to pass something down the road to you right now that's there for you. It's just a little box. It's got a Bible in there that's for you to take and something else for you to read later on. But there's a card in there. I want to ask you right now, if you will, just take that card out and begin filling it out. so that we as a church can help. We want to be a family of faith to you. If you'll just take that card and fill it out and drop it in the offering bag when it comes past you, we want to help you in the next steps in this journey. And while you're filling that out as a church family, we honor that in your life. And we like to celebrate that. We want to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home.